stuff going on to early tomorrow morning. Okay. Um, so I think I'm going to head out, but, you know, I appreciate talking again, Don Morato. I think I got my answers or my questions answered. Oh, gosh, way, we, right? we, we haven't even gotten started yet. No, we haven't oh, gotten Your instruction is just immediate. I feel it immediately. <laughs> okay. Um, hang Best out as long as you want to. There's no reason for you to leave now. You can sure, hang sure. on. Sure, sure. No, I'm just letting you know if I have to duck out maybe a little bit sooner. It's just okay. I was hoping for just a brief call. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, Kelly, but, what, what you got on your mind? Yeah, I had a question. Um, so last time we spoke, we were talking about um, sitting and kind of fear coming up and you suggested that I read, um, you know, introduce me to some of the Mara suttas, suttas on Mara, and it really helped my practice a lot. And so um, I've been kind of deep diving more into the suttas um, and listening to a lot of the Tanajan, you know, Buddha Dasa's talks again. Um, and and I just wanted to know what you would recommend as far as I know that Tana John was just, you know, such an expert and of really, um, you know, deciphering the, you know, Pali Canon and what was use, you know, not what was useful, but like, um, I, I guess my question would be, uh, what would you recommend as far as what is skillful and useful versus what's not uh, when trying to tackle something like the Pali Canon? You know, there's been a lot of talk about the commentaries or like where to start. Is it more skillful to take a class on the Pali, you know, on the Pali Canon? Okay. Um, and I've been trying to search for more of what, you know, Tata John was, was, you know, what he thought was helpful as far as the suttas. And I'd, you know, love to hear your perspective. I understand. You have completely, okay. completely defined the issue. So, okay. um, basically, uh, you are expressing a thirst for knowledge. Yeah. That's a very, very common thing to do. The easy way to answer that question of one kind of one line or full on answer to that is, is that the books that you need to read. Actually, just one book, and that's the one between your ears. That's I knew really you were going to say that. <laughs> that's the, the you see. Uh, Western Buddhism is really much involved with scholarship, just like almost every topic that, um, uh, that we, we endeavor in is that we do all of this research and we become scholars and we write and we read and we all of this kind of stuff, which may be OK for building cars and motorcycles and laptops and things like this in societies. But really, what we really need to do is to gain enough information so that we can go and practice that in fact uh, western education has a lot when i was a child 
there was a question that was kind of asked. Everybody had the idea. Are you going to work for a living or are you going to have a desk job? We're talking about the distinction between blue collar and white collar living. Okay, are you a hands-on person or are you a brains-on person? This is basically the division that we're talking about, okay? And there are certain professions that are brain-oriented and there are certain kind of professions that are um, skill-oriented. This does not fit into the classification of an intellectual exercise, and yet so many people approach Buddhism as if it were an intellectual kind of thing, like the stock market or engineering or something like that, to where, um, <clears throat> think about it this way then, that what we are, we're not going to be uh, so much detailed into um, uh, the concept of how televisions work and all of that kind of stuff. All we need is a basic understanding that what we really are in, we're in a TV repair shop. We are not in manufacturing televisions. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's a whole lot of intellectual knowledge that we can have about all kinds of televisions in general, to where in fact, all we really need to do is fix this set right here in front of us. Which means that we need to work with this one, not with some book. Now, some books may help. Is in fact, it's good to get the wiring diagram of the television so that we can understand the television better. But we're using the wire diagram to understand this TV the way that it works, not um, wiring diagrams in general for all kinds of things. And yet, this is the way um, uh, approaching Buddhism this way. So. Uh, another example would be music. There are musicologists. Most musicians tend to be a bit of a musicologist in the sense that they know the lives of the authors of the songs that they like. Mm -hmm. Right. <clears throat> but a lot of people are intellectually interested in music. They like to listen to the music and whatnot like that. But it takes a different kind of mindset to sit with a symphony that you're listening to and reading the score or actually playing the piece of music, okay? This is where I'm trying to get you to make arrangement to change in your mind the mentality that what the Dhamma is, you're not going to get from books. That you're going to get a few insights from books, but most of the insights you're going to get is by taking what few things that you do read in the books and see it in your mind and then see it again and then see it again. And you start reading these patterns over and over and over again. And you begin to really take a good look at how you wind up unhappy. That this is the whole teaching of the Buddha in the teaching of Patita Samapada is how do we wind up miserable when if we could make a tweak or two here and there, to very specific places, by the way, then we could feel joyful and happy, our choice. And we need to practice doing that over and over again. So really where we need to go to is not uh, uh, more books on the internet, but really to start practicing, which was what I was about to start talking to with Gavin also. So this is an opportune point now for us to not 
uh, established, but maybe to reestablish so that we can go over and over and over again. So one of the points that I'd like to make is that it all has to do with repetition. Repetition and repetition and repetition and repetition. If there is no repetition in your life, then your life is noise. But if your frequencies are consistent, if your timing is consistent, then your life is music. And so we need to start repeating some things over and over and over again, because in fact, a lot of the, uh, the ways of looking at it is, is that you have been your whole life talking yourself into feeling bad. Now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good, but that means you have to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. But that's okay because you've got lots of mind moments anyway, one moment after another. The question is, what kind of talking are you going to be doing in that mind moment? Because you have a choice about what we're going to be doing. If we can remember that we have a choice. And so this is why sati is such an important, valuable skill. It doesn't matter what skills you have developed. If you don't remember to apply those skills, then in that particular moment, that skill is no value. Then, in fact, any skill will only be a value when you remember it. It's sort of like, um, let us say, a, um, a wood, a carpenter or someone like this that is struggling with getting a piece of wood to do a particular kind of thing. And after about 10 minutes of struggling with it, then he remembers, you know something, I've got just the brace that I need to do this. And he goes and he picks up that brace and he applies it and everything is good. And he struggled for 10 minutes simply because he couldn't remember that he's got just the thing for it. And so this is how we want to start our practice is, is to make sure that our number one goal is to keep remembering and keep remembering and keep waking up over and over and over again, rather than having the idea that, oh, if I wake up big time one time, then I don't have to wake up again. And the answer to that is no. Every time you wake up, you're just going to go back to sleep again. That's the nature of it. The question is, how long are we going to sleep before we wake up again? Donato, could, yes, can go ahead, Gavin. something real quick? Eventually, it just kind of becomes like, I don't have to remember to not put my hand on the hot stove. I, do, I don't have to think about not putting my hand on the hot stove. I've been around the stove enough. I don't have to spend my time thinking or remembering to put my hand on the hot stove. I just quit remembering to put my hand on the hot stove. Ah, but the only time you have to remember that, uh, that to don't put your hand on the hot stove is when you're about to put your hand on that hot stove. The rest of the time is irrelevant. But even skilled chefs don't spend their time thinking about making sure they don't burn their hand. I'm not asking you to think about the hot stove at all until you're about to put your hand on the hot stove. And that's when you need to remember it, that that stove may be hot. You should check it before you put your hand on it. So what's that threshold? Well, as you're about to have an unwholesome thought, you should be able to check that unwholesome thought, just like you remember to check the stove to see is it hot or not. You don't have to randomly think about stoves if you're not in front of one but mm. you generally are in front of the hot stove of your own mind 
Sure. And you need to check to see is it hot or not before you stick your hand on it. Hmm. That's where we need to remember and to have the investigation. That's what the April Noble Path is all about, is to remember to look. And once we make a look, now we have to bring in right effort to make the choice and to actually put in action that choice. And once we've made that choice and done that, then over and over and over and over again, so that it begins to become a skill that's being developed. Then we begin to change our attitude from I'm a victim in my life into I am a winner in my life. Or another way of saying that is, is that now I'm an expert at checking hot stoves. And therefore, I don't have to uh, put any more effort into it at all. I just naturally check. As soon as I'm around a stove, I just check. Don't have to worry about hot stoves all the time because I'm not around a hot stove all the time. Okay. That if you keep checking and the stove is cool and you keep checking, then the cold stove is cool and you keep checking that the stove is cool, then you can be less um, consistent in checking and you can become more intermittent. But if you check and it's hot and you check and it's hot and you check and it's hot, then that means that we need to practice to keep checking because the stove remains hot. All right, so let's take that analogy now and put that back to the mind in the sense of if I'm if I can remember to check the mind and to see whether the mind has a wholesome thought in it or not. Not always are students in the beginning. They some of them think that every thought that I have is unwholesome. But that's not necessarily the case that we have a mixture of wholesome and unwholesome all the time. That in fact, if someone had only unwholesome thoughts and never had any uh, wholesome thoughts at all, they'd probably wind up dead very quickly. They'd do something really stupid, like give themselves cancer. They'd worry themselves to death or they would commit suicide or something ridiculous because life shit to them. But in fact, life itself is not shit and it's what we make of it. And we're making of it every moment. Based on your memories of the stories you're telling yourself, correct? Based normally upon that, yes. Based upon all the lies that we've been told, the stories, if you want to be soft about it. Okay. Uh, but basically, that's, that's what we do, is we're master storytellers. We're trying, I guess, to entertain ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but the stories that we tell are often horror stories, and we wind up terrifying ourselves. And so we can, we can find better stories to tell ourselves. And one of the right, best stories that we can tell ourselves is the story of what's happening right now. Isn't this nice? Isn't this a marvelous day? Isn't that lovely, lovely wind that's blowing? Isn't it such a nice, beautiful green? In fact, green is something that's quite amazing because there are millions of greens. Just I look at it and just there's so many different greens. 
and the trees just sway back and forth and they're just having a ball and they're they're just dancing for me and here i am just observing and experiencing the here now now that's the story or i could tell you a story about what happened when i was 10 years old and every time i think about that story i start to feel bad again <laughs> because i think it was me that did that 10 year old thing in fact i am not that 10 year old that that I forgive that ten year old for what he did, because that's and not that, who I am. Right. So these are the ways that we start off with the, the uh, practice of Anapanasati is to remember to look at what's in the mind right now. What's in the mind right now? What's in the mind right now is not in a book. It's right here. And so um, getting away from it all, including getting away from the books and the laptops and televisions and everything and getting into nature and start practicing the natural method and the natural method of cleaning houses, just look at what you're thinking and to come out of whatever you're thinking and be where you are right now. So if you're in a room or if you're out on the porch in a lovely garden then be in the garden rather than someplace else in the mind. And to be in the room or in the garden that you're in right now, rather than thinking about what happened in the garden last year. And normally we're also thinking about something that happened in the past someplace else rather than where we are right here, right now. So having stories about right here, right now are often much more wholesome than thinking about something that used to be that doesn't exist anymore. But one of the delusions that we have is the uh, the concept that what happened in the past is still who I am. An example of that is some people are in prison for 10, 20, 30 years because of something that happened 30 years ago. 35 years ago, and everybody in that prison says that you're in prison for what you did 35 years ago. And none of them in that prison are willing to recognize that none of them are with, uh, who they are 35 years ago. But many of them are caught in exactly the same habits for the past 35 years. And so they tend to see a sequence, but we can change our habits slowly. We can build skills. We can make that, changes one after another. Go ahead. Is that, I feel like that's a big reason why knowledge is so powerful. Um, because if you can, if you can know, and then eventually understand, uh, like a nata or like the non-self, you just keep remembering there's actually no one here. You know that to be true. However, you need to prove it to yourself scientifically. Like you just keep seeing that, keep returning to that path, because you can't convince yourself otherwise. It's just the way it is. Well, actually, there's no reason to try to convince yourself of anything anymore. Just of returning, right? Eventually, but if you that—that's actually convincing yourself means that you've got a goal or a plan that what you'll be like after you've done the convincing. That in fact, that's one of the beauties of it is is that you don't have to convince yourself of anything. You need, to, in fact, the best thing to do is to stop trying to convince yourself of anything. And just be satisfied in the moment. I'm okay without having convinced myself of anything at all. 
Totally. I'm talking about an if you're in anger or something, you need to remind yourself to turn to not anger. Well, you talked yourself into getting angry. The right. question is, how deep into the anger do you have to be in order to wake up to it? Ideally, nothing. Like the hint. Well, don't go to ideals. Go to reals. As soon as you start to feel anger, I guess. Actually, most people will wind up in an argument, into a fight, until uh, one of them recognizes that they've gone too far. Whatever that means, okay? Like uh, the husband uh, calls his wife a dirty slut, and then he recognizes, oh, that was the wrong thing to say. Or maybe after he pulls the gun out. Now, with the handgun in his hand, he's recognizing, wait a minute, this is going too far. Okay, yeah, that's like so up- it to 11. No, that's taking it to an eight or nine. Burying dead bodies in the backyard is taking it to an 11. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) So, what we need to do then is to wake up. And the question is, how soon can you wake up? Can you wake up at the point of violence? Can you wake up at the point of harsh speech? Can you wake up at the point of just one outburst? Can you wake up to the point of just about to make an outburst, but you don't? Because that's a good point. Can you recognize that you're about to make an outburst, but you don't have because you don't want to go there? Then you can recognize at the point of contact of that which contacted you, you might, in fact, want to have an outburst. You could look at it in the sense of uh, before I was really into that. Then I was into it a little bit. And then I stopped being into it so much. And now I could see that I used to do that. And now I could come to the point of, well, what's that? All right. So this is a way to, to think about it is, is that how soon in that anger can you catch it? Because there's going to be anger for you until you catch it and you're so good at catching it that you catch it so early that it's not even anger. And then you can catch it even earlier than that because your attitude has changed and now you were nowhere near having to even catch it because you were nowhere near it. Just like if you're nowhere near a hot stove, you don't have to think about hot stoves at all. Even if that hot stove is is someone yelling in your ear telling you what a, a bully you are, or maybe it's two friends, your wife and your daughter are having almost a blow-to-blow anger-heated debate. Can I just stay on the side, or better still, can I just add some joy to their anger? Can I tease them about how angry they are? This is the point, okay? So how back soon can you come to the point that what used to make you angry doesn't make you angry anymore, and you can recognize that. And then it's just nothing at all. Depends upon your contact. For instance, when uh, uh, wife and daughter are, are arguing, that doesn't sound good. And so 
uh, is better to make some sort of intervention. But it's the same thing on Thai television because Thai television has vi- all the violence that you have in Western television, and the Thai people are not violent. Why do they put violence on the television for the people who are not violent? Well, I guess maybe the people who in America were not violent have been watching television violent for 70 years, and so now the whole culture has turned violent. But the point that we're making is is that at any particular time, you have to wake up. Are you going to continue along the pattern of of, um, anger and violence, or are you going to wake up? And if you wake up, can you then see that this is anger, that I don't like the way that I feel, and deal with that, and so I can calm myself down. Never mind, there's no reason to be angry. I can do I can do better than this. I can, in fact, take a deep breath and start rid the body of the adrenaline and then put a smile on, and then I can find something funny to say, if I can remember. If I can remember. So this is actually just Anapanasati. It's to wake up, look at what you're doing, recognizing you've got a choice, taking that choice and changing the way that you feel right here, right now, by changing the kind of words that you're using right here, right now. And that's the important connection to the breath, correct? Is because it's something you're going to always have with you. And that becomes like an instant gateway. And it's important for your physiological being is if you're breathing heavy, you know you're angry or worked up about something. Only people who breathe calm are calm. There is a Thai word called ki, and they use the word ki for all kinds of things. Like ki peri is the ash of a cigarette. The exhaust of a car is bad gas is hard to smell. And so uh, uh, they say rote kimem, which means that the rote smells bad. Okay. And, and it's because of the exhaust. So your, your car exhaust smells bad in Thai would say rote kikim. All right. So now that we're understanding this word about uh, ki, is that um, we all have Key. Everything you eat turns to key. Everything. Okay, so if you've got a sandwich and you, you're not particularly hungry, or maybe it's yesterday's leftover, or for some reason like that, you have a choice do I eat this or not? In all cases, whether you eat it or not, that sandwich is going to turn to key. Whether you eat it or not, it's going to either be thrown away in one direction or thrown away in another direction. So this is what we're talking about now. Guess what? Almost all of the stuff that comes out of your bowels has nothing to do with the real exhaust. That the real exhaust is through the breath. That any carbon that you have stored in your body will only leave your body. If someone is going to lose weight, all of the weight that they lose is through their breathing out of carbon dioxide. That's the only way that it comes out. It does not get covered back into the bowels and pass out. uh, That in fact, urine has very little carbon in it. It has a whole lot of other stuff in it. Your uric acid actually has a lot of sulfur. It smells that way. And nitrogen, 
because that's the stuff that we eat in, but the carbon goes out through the lungs and the water that's converted with the oxygen and the hydrogen, so the, that comes out as urine. But the carbon comes out as carbon dioxide. So almost all of your exhaust is through the breath. So if you're not paying any attention to the breath, then that's like running with a car that's not very well tuned. And a lot of the exhaust actually stays in the system because we're very, very shallow. And so the breathing that we're not completely removing. But if we take a deep, long breath and a deep, long out breath and an in breath and an out breath like that, very quickly within, oh, one or two breaths, maybe three breaths, we could do a huge amount of cleaning out. Which then gives the oxygen a chance to recoup and get into the blood. It cleans the blood, and that a lot of the adrenaline that is in the bloodstream then can be flushed out through the breathing. It's a very, very important cleaning process. And guess what? This is all about cleaning. Cleaning it's the mind. Is it energizing? And it energizes completely. That's why they call it tangling. It becomes sustenance in a way, does. Correct. It, it you you stop breathing, you die. Correct, but okay. Slow breathing increases your efficiency. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So everything is okay when we're breathing well, but things get kind of stopped up when uh, uh, when we're not paying attention to the breathing, and when we're afraid the fear reaction generally shuts the breathing down because that's a natural reaction. You see, most of the things that people are afraid of in modern society is irrelevant because the whole point of fear is, is that you are in imminent danger of survival right now. The reason for fear is because you hear a rustle in the grass and it quite possibly could be a tiger. You look over there and you see that's a rhinoceros. You want to freeze. You do not want to move. You want to stay still, right? So that's where the mechanism from historic times comes from. And yet now we have many, many false positives. We, we have a thought and we become afraid. We see a bill. Let us say that the bill comes in from the mail and I know what that bill is. I know how much it's a $400 gas bill. I don't want to pay that. And so I set that bill down on the counter. But every time I pass by that in that room and see that envelope with that bill in it, I'll have that little wince. Because I don't like it. All right. So that letter actually is hot. That's a hot stove. And yet everybody, every time I go into the room, I put my eye and my mind on that hot stove. So that's an example of the, of the hot stove is, is that just a letter that's sitting on the counter is an unpaid bill. How many unpaid bills do we have collected? I mean, how many to do, how many items on your to do list do you have? Because every item on your to do list is an unpaid bill. And so every item that we think of on that list is source of dukkha, source of dissatisfaction, source of discomfort, source of a tiny little drop of fear or a tiny little drop of adrenaline. But as we're breathing well, we can clean that stuff back out. The quick the trick is, is to stop putting the adrenaline in. So it's a two-step process. 
One is to change the mind to stop putting the adrenaline in the system. And the second one is to take a deep breath or two is to start cleaning that stuff out. So this is why Anapanasati and mindfulness is the same training. That's why it's called mindfulness of breathing. So we work in conjunction to keep the body fit for work and keeping the mind fit for work by having the mind oxygenated well rather than being tired. And so this is the sequence then with Anapanasati is to wake up, take a look at what we're doing and take a deep breath. And then we start gladdening the mind by saying, oh, wow, I'm so glad I took that deep breath. Oh, that feels good. I like that breath. That's a nice one. And then we start experiencing the body in this present moment. And wow, being here is a whole lot better than being where I just was. I was having a fight with Aunt Susie and I'm glad I, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to think about Aunt Susie. She's not even here now. She was a figure of the mad imagination just then. And I was dreaming up an argument and feeling bad. And now I can wake up and say, I can be her now. And I don't have to argue with Susie right now. I don't have to plan on arguing with Susie next time. A question. On yes, Kelly. Mind. Um, Thank you. For, one second. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out and take this opportunity. It's going to be late here. Don Rato. Kelly, it was a pleasure speaking with both of you again tonight. Kelly, nice to meet you. Catch you guys nice later. Nice to meet you as well, Gavin. Have a good Gavin, day. Gavin, we'll see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Nat Kelly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so thinking in terms of gladdening the mind, um, so seeing, seeing things clearly, not attaching to it. So would, so gladdening the mind or even the Brahma Viharas, would they be a, would they be something that's cultivated or, or are they something that is an absence or a non-attachment to ignorance? And so it's a more, a residue that is just. Okay. Let me answer this question this way. Gladdening the mind has a wide variety of things having to do with the here and the now and wholesome. Mm -hmm. Sometimes metta can be gladdening the mind. If mm -hmm. metta is done correctly, it is gladdening the mind. Mm -hmm. But what metta practice is... Uh, is often based in confusion in the sense that metta is actually the result of good practice, not the cause of good practice. So there is, the Buddha does not recommend a metta meditation. That's mm -hmm. something that was invented by uh, people who did not have metta. Right. So that's the question is that I don't understand. Yeah, is it... Like gladdening, I understand right. gladdening the mind, but is so that is something that also must be cultivated, right? Yes, gladdening the mind is a skill to be developed, and you could put that skill in the skill of one's right effort, mm -hmm. the right effort to gladden the mind, the right effort to remove unwholesome thoughts and to put wholesome thoughts in, and that has nothing to do with 
anybody else that has to do with one's own mind. Yeah. If you think about another person thinking that you're going to send them metta, you may or may not be successful at doing that. An example of may all beings be happy. You've heard that before. Okay. Well, may all beings be happy means that you're exact you're seeing that people are not happy. Not only that, but when you say may all beings be happy, that's coming from the position that you're not happy either. So is all hope and wishful thinking. That's what most meditation meta practice is. There's another way of doing it, and that is is that getting yourself into a really, really nice state and then say, wow, I wish everybody was as happy as I am right now. That would be really well-wishing. You're actually offering them something rather than a nebulous, nobody's got happiness, I wish everybody had happiness. That in fact, this is the, the, um, uh, let us say, the seed that gave rise to the bodhisattva ideal, which is... May all beings be enlightened before I'm enlightened. Okay, right. well, here's the whole point about that is, is that sounds very much like I wish they'd all shut up so I could have some peace and quiet. And you're not going to get everybody to shut up so you can have some peace and quiet. You're going to have to go get that peace and quiet. And if you do have that peace and quiet, then you don't care whether all those people are noisy or not, that they're okay the way that they are. That if thou I can approach them the way they are happily and joyfully because I accept them the way they are, then when I come, I'm bringing joy to them. And I'm actually giving them some joy. I'm not hoping for them to be joyful. I'm actually presenting it so that they can have a a smorgasbord of of joy on their Mm -hmm. own. I'm inviting them to have a meal that's right there in front of them for them to partake of rather than wishing them to have a meal that nowhere in sight. Right. Okay. So So now we're going, go ahead. I was going to, so it would be more sense of, um, like I was reading about the, um, Avija Sutta today about ignorance and, um, you know, the causes of ignorance. And so if we see, You know, at the uh, at the point of contact, um, and we decide, and you know, we have the right right view, and we are able to see if you know hindrances are arising, and we're you know not we don't cling to those, and so you know at that point of contact, then it's like a wholesome quality. Would it then be to okay. switching the mind? Oh, that, that because that was a wholesome quality, so that's an opportunity to gladden the mind. Like, I mean, everything happens yes. so quickly, so it's like all you know. I feel like I'm just spending all day just like observing these things, and then it's, you know, taking you know to now. Stop here's the, the attitude change. The attitude it. change. The attitude changes. Yeah. Wow, I get to look at it all day. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, I guess it's like I'm. Here we are. We like, I'm trying to just yeah. see the ignorance. You know, those things coming up all the time. And That's the ignorance. Saying, That's the ignorance that I'm pointing out to you. The ignorance is that oh, this is a lot of work. Oh, mm-hmm. I have to do stuff into the future. 
That's the ignorance. Mm -hmm. The wisdom is just this present moment. What's happening right now? Yeah. Or I guess it's, you know, if the mind is enjoying, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's no room for unpleasant to come in if the mind is pleasant or if the mind is in a wholesome state, then there's no room for the unwholesome to come in. Ah, but there is in the next mind moment. Yeah. (laughs) This is why we need to stay with Sati to remain on guard. This is... This is where we call, uh, this is the Guard. point about applied and sustained thought or guarding the mind because mm-hmm. it's such a habit. It's almost like, uh, um, imagine that we're riding in a car in backwards in time so that the, we, we are now in an old dilapidated jalopy. But as we progress, the car gets newer and newer and has fewer and fewer problems. But while we're now riding around in a fault-ridden jalopy, that means we need to stop and repair it often. Mm -hmm. But after we keep repairing it over and over and over again, eventually it loses its jalopy quality and operates more like a, a a vehicle capable of doing its job. Right. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it's so this, subtle. You know, all these things, they happen so quickly and they're subtle. Mm-hmm. You know. That's right. They are. This is why we want to apply sati and investigation is to keep looking. And even if you, instead of saying, oh, it was subtle and I missed it before. No. Recognize right now we have yet a new opportunity to look again. Yeah. If we're moaning over the fact that I missed something or a missed opportunity, then I'm missing this opportunity to see that I'm moaning over the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so we cultivate being satisfied the way things are right now. To cultivate satisfaction. And how we cultivate it is by talking ourselves into being satisfied. And how do we do that? Is by remembering to talk ourselves into being satisfied, to remember to gladden the mind, to remember to throw out unwholesome thoughts about the past and the future, and to have thoughts about how nice things are right now. Yeah. I guess that would be, you know, like equanimity or like the seven factors of enlightenment is part of that, right? Well, the seven factors of enlightenment are already the Eightfold Noble Path that is to be developed as skills. And when those skills are developed, then they are enlightenment factors as developed skills. Unremitting mindfulness means that when you need it most, there it is. Like we were talking about with Gavin, that we don't have to remember that the stove is hot until we're about to put our hand on it. And then we need to remember that the stove might be hot and it needs to check. Well, we're, the likelihood of us being in the kitchen of our own mind is much higher than it is for us likely to be in a real kitchen with a real stove. But we're using that as an analogy that we need to keep checking the stove to see, is it hot? We need to keep checking the mind to see what's on the burner. 
so that we can yeah. take it off the burner. And by the way, that taking the food off the burner or taking the mind off the burner is exactly what we mean by nibbana, yeah. because they're the cooling down. To allow your mind to cool down, to gladden the mind or to cool the mind intentionally. Yeah. When do we do that? Every time we remember. Every time we remember, every time we're about to put our hand in the fire or our mind into the unpleasant feeling, we say, ah, I caught that. Ah, I don't have to put my hand on that hot stove. And so we this is actually a practice mm -hmm. that's good to be done in seclusion away from other people so that we can practice sati, 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 sati. And one of the easy ways to do that is by putting sati on the breath so that you make sure that you have sati on the in-breath and you have sati on the out-breath. And by doing so, that sati means that we're actually taking the control of the breathing to make sure that it's a long, deep in-breath. If, if we can get sati going for in-breath and out-breath, which we're, now we're talking about uh, at the at the rate of um, let us say six breaths a minute, or down to about ten seconds, that means that we have sati every five seconds. Well, that's like one every fifty mind moments. But it's a start, because we, we normally go for days and days without any sati. To actually remember to take a deep breath and to remember to take it out a long, deep out breath and also to remember to clean the mind out when we're doing this long breathing in and long breathing out. And that helps us then to start watching these mind moments during the breath. Right. And we start watching for all of that stuff. And we watch also for a think, feel, think, feel that we can think in one mind moment and then start to have the feelings of adrenaline or fear or anguish or uptightness or um, uh, stress, sadness, any of those kind of feelings can be triggered very quickly. The question is, how many of those mind moments are you going to spend in that before you remember, hey, I don't have to feel that way. I don't have to remember that argument with Aunt Susie and dwell on that argument. I can forget all about Aunt Susie and just come back yeah. to this present moment and take a deep breath and forget yeah. all about Aunt Susie I, and here now. Yeah, I feel like my practice, I'm at a place where, you know, I'm pretty content. Um, but then as far as when I think about things like gladdening, joy, you know, I feel very, I feel gratitude, I feel compassion, kindness, I feel all these things. Um, Those would all be gladdening about, the mind kinds of words, yes. Yeah, the, but when I think about gladdening, it, that is like, I get kind of like, where's the fine line between, you know, attachment gladdening or just the, you know, that, that line that line is between whether it is in the apparent ego state or it's in your grab bag list of rules of things you should do yeah. or whether it's something that you really like doing right now. Who's yeah. doing this? Is it the child who's enjoying it or is it the parent saying you ought to? Yeah. Uh, the only thing I can really like that I can really 
understand like joy gladdening is you know through through my practice through the dhamma you know is and but that all you know i think maybe i need to get more creative no you've already been like oh, okay probably I'm not excellent at it but you have been created your whole life and going around looking thing for things to cheer yourself up yeah i mean you go shopping to cheer yourself up yeah. Sometimes yeah, you so go to like, the doctor to cheer yourself up. Yeah. Sometimes you get drunk to cheer yourself up. Well, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, we every human being goes around looking for things to cheer themselves up. Yeah. Almost always that's an indirect thing. In other words, I can't go from directly from where I am now directly into joy and cheer. I've got to go do something to cheer myself up so that then I can have the cheer. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about dropping that connection. And so that connection of doing something to cheer yourself up is basically then getting the parent involved. Making it a cool. Cultivating, gladdening the mind, you know, cultivating the seven factors of enlightenment. Then it's like a training. So I'm thinking like, okay, you know, I sit. But that's the way that it's presented as language. There's no other way. These are all the way that you're talking about it is concepts yeah and what we need to do is take it out of the conceptual world into the real world of actually enjoying this in breath <laughs> and coming into the present moment yeah we're not going See, you're still kind of stuck in the intellectualization of it, which would be then the parent ego state, rather than allowing the child inside to really feel nurtured, to really feel everything is really okay right now. Everything is fine. Okay, so that feeling of joy and satisfaction and comfort needs to be uh repeated as language of cheering the mind up but you're doing it from the book reader list of rules intellectualization way of doing it rather than just really letting yourself feel good right now (laughs) (sighs) wow just relax for yourself feel good just relax There's no place to go and nothing to do. And when you are relaxed, you're already enlightened in that moment. Mm-hmm. When you're intellectualizing, intellectualizing, wanting to be enlightened, you're not. Mm-hmm. Whenever you want something, we're, that's dukkha. Whenever we are experiencing that we don't want anything, that's the teaching of the Buddha. That's the natural state. That's the enlightenment is, is that I don't want anything. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to not want anything. That's called desiring desirelessness, which is mm-hmm. a common trick for Westerners. Yeah. It's wanting to be free from suffering where in fact you are. You're already free. Just drop it and relax and enjoy the fact that you've got no problems. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go to get something. You don't have to practice Anapanasati to feel good. Mm-hmm. You just feel good. You practice feeling good. And that's practicing Anapanasati is the practicing of feel, feeling good, not practicing to feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
I get it. I get it. All good. I'm good. Yeah. I get it. But but I don't know how to do it yet. It's, it's easy. But in fact, I see you. You're you're giggling and you're laughing. So that means that you are getting it. I know, you are, I'm you good. are feeling I get good. It. Yeah. You okay? So you can feel good. You yeah. You know, but you know, yeah. You know, guarding and you know keeping it. I think that's where I'm at in my practice. Is okay. Where do you know? Can I go from? just contentment to that next step of actually don't go to a next step wanting to go to a next step yeah now is good enough yeah right now is good enough right now now is good enough no next steps needed next steps is now (laughs) is not good enough right yeah you've already got everything you need it's good enough right here right now this is good (laughs) <laughs> no next step needed well great <laughs> well that, you see that that's why we have to keep repeating this over and over and over again because everything in the western uh, culture of is to teach delayed gratification you keep doing B to get to C you can't go from A to C directly you have to go to be first. Everything is taught like that. And so you can just go directly into joy. And then the next mind moment, you can say, oh, I can come right back into joy again and I can sustain it. Mm. Yeah, I'm joyful again. Yeah, I'm joyful again. Yeah, this is good. I'm joyful again. Yeah, I can stay here. And just having thoughts of, oh, how nice this is. And just mm-hmm. letting it be nice right now. No next steps needed. Mm-hmm. And so that's the skill that we need to develop is the skill of being here now and enjoying the heck out of it right now. Yeah. Equanimity comes later after we've had all the joy that we can stand. <laughs> When the book is completely full of joy, that's when equanimity can happen. Yeah. So you practice that. In this moment, everything's good. Everything right now is okay. Mm-hmm. This moment is good. That's the gladdening of the mind. Right now, everything is okay. Everything is fine. No worries, no problems. And this breath is a nice breath. This one's a nice one, too. Oh, yeah, that's good breath. We can use concepts with it. Also, one of the concepts that I know that uh, is quite beneficial for people is to have language like, as I breathe in, I breathe in God. The life force of all of nature is coming in and nourishing me with that in-breath. So why not let it all in? As I breathe in, I breathe in joy. And as I breathe out, I relax, I relax. 
As I breathe in, I breathe in oxygen. And as I breathe out, I breathe out carbon dioxide. Now, that's intellectual, but I mean, if that gives you joy. <laughs> it helps me. <laughs> it helps me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As I breathe in, I breathe in joy, oxygen joy. And as I breathe out, I breathe out exhaust, carbon <laughs> dioxide. So that's the way that we think. We think everything is all right. Everything is fine right now. This is how we begin to practice. Yeah, helpful. So go do it. That's all we have to do is just keep doing it. And when we're not doing it and we recognize we're not doing it, just start again. Most people will fuss at themselves. Oh, you didn't do it. I caught you. You're, you should be mindful. You should be gladdening your mind and you're not doing it. Well, that's the very part of, of uh, the habit that we've been doing our whole life. Now we've just got a new object to fuss at ourselves about. Of not being joyful. <laughs> and so that's the right effort. The right effort is to stop blessing at ourselves and start to nourish ourselves. Mm -hmm. Warts and all. To embrace the dukkha. Yeah, the mind wandered away. Never mind. Start again. Yeah. Be easy on yourself. Be your own best friend. Yeah, yeah, I think for the most part, you know, it's it's pretty good. I don't like go around beating myself up anymore. I did for a long time, but I think well, you still know how that's still a skill. You've got very well finely honed. <laughs> you probably are still using it from time to I time mean, and not quite. Yeah, it, the Kilesas are pretty smart. They, they still come up. Well, that's a metaphorical smart. way of saying it. But the reality is, is that uh, old habits are buried deep into the neurons. Mm. We have to let those neurons rest. Yeah. 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 Just rest. Just okay. take it easy. Relax. Enjoy the moment. Be here now. Mm -hmm. This is a nice moment. It's really great. This is a wonderful moment. It's all the better that you're here with me. <laughs> it was nice. With the sutta was the, you know, the Awija sutta I was reading today. Ultimately, it was saying, as, as I'm sure you know, that ignorance um, comes from being around, you know, bad people. So if you want to not have ignorance, then you... Well, that's ignorance. Let yeah, us say you... that correctly would be ignorance comes from being told ignorant things. Yeah, so if you're around, you know, the Kalyanamitha, good people, hearing good things. Uh, again, when you're around wholesome thoughts and wholesome feelings, and then you mm -hmm. can just say that there are people who have unwholesome thoughts in their mind, but we're still referring to them as people because those people are quite capable of having wholesome thoughts instead. 
So it's better to then choose the source of uh, information input because some input is going to be intentionally designed to make you feel bad and unwholesome, and some is going to be intentionally designed to make you feel good. The only reason that it could possibly come out of the mouth of someone who has the intention of making you feel good is because he already feels good. Mm-hmm. And you should be the Kaliameta for all of the people that you're around who are not giving you happy thoughts, you can go give them some happy thoughts. If you've got some happy thoughts, mm-hmm. depends upon who's going to win. Are they going to make you miserable? Or are you going to make them happy? Yeah. 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 It depends so been, upon your skill level. Yeah. 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 That's the metaphor. Is how, yeah. How can you, uh, how can you, in fact, cheer people up in a particular moment? Instead of wishing them to be cheerful for their whole life without doing anything about it except just having wishful thinking, why don't you intentionally go to cheer somebody up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go to an office worker and just, hi, how you doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. And cheer them up. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. better for you. That meta is going around cheering people up. But how can you cheer people up if you don't have cheer yourself? Mm-hmm. So go practice. Cheer yourself up. Make best friends with yourself, and then you can make best friends with all kinds of people. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Helpful. And... Yeah, and yeah, and also with with the suttas and the Pali Canon. Um, I mean, right now it's been if I have like a you know the Buddha said, you know I leave the you know the Dhamma Vinaya as my you know as the teacher. You know when I'm gone, you have the Dhamma Vinaya. So I guess when I have ish you know something I don't understand, then I'll go to the suttas and you know read from that. That's been very helpful. Um, doing that. Ah, it's helpful for an intellectual understanding. Now go read the book between your ears to get an emotional understanding. Yeah, yeah. So at least I know, you know, how to tackle it or, you know, you don't always know what you don't know. So. Mm -hmm. um, But you know enough. Now, you know, all you have to do is remember to apply what you know. Yeah. And the hard one is the right effort to actually take the effort to put some skin in the game, to take a deep breath and to throw those unwholesome thoughts out and to have them one after another wholesome thought. Sustain that over and over and over again. For a while, it's going to take right effort to be on guard, to sustain, to make sure that they're wholesome. Once you get every thought wholesome one after another, then you can really relax. Yeah. This is what the jhana process is all about, is going from relaxation to deeper relaxation to deeper relaxation. Mm-hmm. And the first relaxation is to relax all the unwholesome thoughts out of the mind so that yeah. we only have wholesome thoughts. Yeah. And that cannot be gotten from a book. We have to practice that. Yeah, literally, the last talk I heard on 
with Tana John on the middle way is yeah, he ended the talk with you're not gonna learn it from a book or from a teacher, you have to go and you know experience it yourself. So Dante go. Yeah. Well, now you're beginning to listen to all the right people. <laughs> I've been listening to him for a long time, so yeah, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, it is obviously, you know, come see for yourself, but um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. That's, I yes, have this has been great. Yeah, go go practice. Go practice being joyful. Gladdening. Go, go, yeah, yeah, be glad. I mean, you're gladdened or, or brightened or um, enthusiastically or enthusiasm or how to say it. Uh, go enthusiasm yourself, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kelly, this has been delightful. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Damarato. Yeah, have a have a wonderful rest of your day. I'll Excellent. See you soon. See you soon. Yes, okay. see you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. -bye. Okay. Bye.